All right, welcome back to our uh, four-part series on the life of the Bengals, taking a a look at a wild off-season through the eyes of four different slices of the organization. Paul Eater Jr., Jay Morrison of The Athletic are here with you. I hope everybody is enjoying it so far. How are we doing, Jay? Doing great, Paul. How are you? You know, I'm good. I like um, – I'm excited about today's uh, episode because the, these guys that work in the scouting department, I mean – they take so much crap. Like what, what, when people talk about the Bengals scouts, there's usually like some joke to follow, right? It's always, oh, they need more scouts, smallest scouting department, and some, some joke about that. They, they have a very specific strategy, and those guys that are in there working are one, really good, and two, doing a lot. I mean, for that reason. I mean, and the fact that they have had – now, we can talk about success and failures in recent drafts and successes and failures and, and further back. As a whole, organizationally, they've drafted really well over the last 10 to 20 years. That's just – those are numbers, those are facts. There's any, many different metrics you can look at to find that but a guy like today's guest who's their college director of scouting uh mike potts puts in a ton of work and there's just a lot that goes a lot that goes into their job year round i mean they are grinding hard year round and they get their one weekend to turn it into something and I, i i i just think I always feel like these people need more shine. They need more love for what they do because we don't we don't hear from them. We don't see them very often, except you know after they kind of complete their draft. Yeah, a great example that that he talks about here is that he's he's at Oregon watching Justin Herbert and the other Ducks that are going to be draftable draft draft eligible the night before the Bengals opener against Seattle, and he he's at that game. That game's over, and he's getting ready to drive up to Seattle to to go to the Bengals Seahawks game the next day but he 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 pulls out his phone and flips on the LSU Texas game and basically starts scouting off of his phone Joe Burrow that was that was one of the first aha moments that he talks about in seeing Joe Burrow that third and 17 play um just you know you would think a guy just grinded all day scouting all these players he just wants to decompress and he he goes immediately from one game to another game on his phone and it's just it's non-stop for those guys even right now you would think this is a time where okay the draft is over you catch your breath and and he said no they're, they're rolling right into scouting the guys for next year yeah and and full transparency here as you'll see when we go into this interview with with mike um I had a technical glitch on the front end uh, and lost like the first 10 to 15 minutes of the conversation, which makes me sad um, because it was really good. And and we he talked very we opened talking about, you know, the stereotype, not stereotype, but the aura and, and how you deal with being the smallest scouting staff. And he was sort of talking about, you know, it's something that we all really embrace. And he said he came from Atlanta. Uh, which is the opposite. He's like, you know, where there's 25 guys and you're one of 25 and the responsibility and the voice in the room that you get here 
He's like, there's just something really remarkable about it. And, and especially in this off season where, I mean, it's, I've said this a couple of times, but like in Madden, how many times do you draft a franchise? And, Yo, we're going to start over and you build your team and this, that. these guys, this off season got to do this in real life. <laughs> it was a, we're going to give you a bunch of money and you're going to have a, a top quarterback and, and all this stuff and let's reset this roster. And to have the real responsibility and have a lot of that on you, um, you know, that's something that they really embrace and love, uh, when, in, rather than being just one of 25 voices in a room and it's the old Duke Tobin line. I repeat it every time anybody ever talks about this topic. And that is, he always says, I don't need more voices. I just need the right voices. And when he feels like he has the right voices in the room, you know, having, and Mike talked about this in the part we lost, having six to seven reports on a guy versus two to three of the important reports on a guy is the rest of it's just noise in a lot of ways, you know? And so that's kind of the way that they felt like they viewed it. And, um, and it's, it's a really interesting thing. You know, you, they, they have re um, formed the scouting department in recent years where Mike sort of uh, rose up the ranks along with uh, Steve Radicevich, um, who is the director of pro scouting, and Mike took over the college ranks, which basically means focusing on the SEC. Uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, but you know, they, they but they pitch in together on both, and and also pitch in on advanced scouting and stuff like that as they're going around, which is like when he, you know, it, it, sometimes in season if he's out somewhere, you'll, you'll he'll go catch a, a different game on a Sunday or scout a different opponent and drop stuff in there. But the Bengals, you know, they just utilize their coaches more. And other teams do. So you, rather than have 25 scouts, um, you know, there's far fewer. Uh, but the, the coaches are very, very involved. So you take two to three reports from the scouts cross-checked and then, a, you know, a, a position coach or two looking at them as well. And, and, and that's how they form their opinions and do their board. And it's not, you know, it's, it's, I don't think they've ever felt shorted, uh, on, on understanding, knowing everybody, and having feel like they've done plenty of work on everybody all the way down to the end of the seventh round in college free agents. Yeah, I mean, people listening know this when when you're getting ready for the draft and you start, there's all these analysts and scouts out there and they've all got their strengths and weaknesses for certain players and it, it, it does. It starts all bleeding together and how do you differentiate and that does make sense that, that in that regard, uh, fewer quality guys is is better than than just sheer quantity and they're just that you could have contradicting reports you have to start weighing whose whose opinion you value more than others uh, uh, i totally get where where duke's coming from with with that sentiment about you just need the right voices you don't need more and it's you know it's an old school approach and i think there's a ton of value to the mass quantity you know what just have a ton of people so no piece of information uh, whether it be about character and everybody's got a source somewhere, you know, I, I totally get that. And I, there's a crap load of value to it. And to be quite honest, they need more people. Like, let's be real. I mean, they, you need more people. It, it wouldn't hurt them to have a few more people, particularly on the lower levels, uh, that are assisting. You don't, you don't need to be 25 deep, but I, you know, adding two to three more on the, on the scout or the basic, you know, just cranking stuff out level, I, I think, would would be great um but you know they you know, they've got a their crew you know with Duke Tobin, Mike Potts, Steven Radicevich, Bill Tobin, 
Andrew Johnson, Christian Sarkeesian, all the way down to their, you know, Jeff Smith, Debbie LaRocco. And, and they meant, you know, and also made mention of the analytics crew that they have now, um, all that stuff. I mean, when you get into, you know, every team basically has the PFF ultimate program now. And, you know, you look at, and you, when you have that, you go in and you, have the stat in front of you. Okay. T Higgins had seven drops. You click on it. It attaches to your clip system and all seven drop videos show up immediately. It's three seconds, right? I mean, this isn't the days where you really need to have boots on the ground and run it to see all the tape and do all the things. It's like that in an instant, you're checking every single miss tackle forced, every single drop, every single throw that was a big time throw or turnover worthy play or whatever. And, you know, shout out PFF. I mean, they have, they have done this to the point where they are at the core of what so many teams do, um, that everybody utilizes, but that's just the, the, the ability to get so much information out there is, is huge. Um, so that's that's kind of a, a little bit of background on on the scouting staff and Mike Potts. So we're bringing this in this, we end up a, a little bit into our conversation, but uh, we get into his. You know, he was the tip of the spear in Joe Joe Burrow's, uh, you know, scouting and and really getting to know him and watching that evolve as the year goes on. Him talking about his first conversation, and he, he's friends with Joe Brady, uh, going back to his William and Mary days. Uh, Joe Brady, who now in Carolina, who's, you know, renowned for helping revitalize that scheme. Uh, the one that was had in August, uh, I, I found that to be really one of the most interesting parts of this conversation, but it's all good with Mike. Uh, really enjoyed talking with him and, um, you know, a, a big weekend that they just pulled off. And, you know, so he kind of reflects on, the whole draft process, Joe, you know, scouting Joe Burrow and goes all down the line on every pick, uh, that they got and their approach to the linebackers, everything else. So, uh, the series continues, uh, tomorrow we'll go to the life of the fan and we'll check in with optimistic Bobby, which with a really fun conversation, but not just even about football, uh, but about being a small business owner in this time. Uh, so I hope you check back in tomorrow. I hope you listened yesterday with the player talking to CJ Uzama about Tyler Eifert's mullet and boat he's going to have in, in George and <laughs> Jacksonville. Uh, and, uh, and what it's like to watch the team spend $150 million in free agency and, uh, his, his conversation giving a call to Joe Burrow and some of the other, uh, guys. So if you haven't heard that one, I hope you go back and listen to yesterday's with CJ Uzama. Anyway, uh, here is Bengals college scouting director, Mike Potts. You end up with the defensive overhaul goes heavy in, on, in the defensive backfield and you add DJ Reader, you know, one of the big, the biggest free agent contract that we've seen here and, and don't go after the linebackers and, and in free agency, everyone's saying, Oh man, you know, you gotta, how did they miss out on going linebacker? That was such a big spot. And that, but yet in the draft, it's, it's one, two, three, and it's a, it's a matter of making that, making that be the, the area to supplement the linebacker position. How early on did you guys target the draft as maybe the better way to approach that position? Was that obvious immediately, or is that more just kind of the way it worked out? I don't know that it, that you, um, are ever going to like speak in absolutes like you know 
early before the process plays out as far as free agency. Like, this is absolutely what we're going to do. Um, all you can do is evaluate and see what, what the pool is that's out there. And, you know, through our scouting throughout the fall, you know, we meet on all the seniors in December. Then we meet on all the underclassmen that end up coming out in February before the combine. So that's all obviously before free agency starts. And we really, really liked the depth of the linebacker position in this draft. I know a lot was made about how deep the receiver position was in this draft, but I, I would argue there there may have been close to, if not more, linebackers that we really felt could could come in and help us and play significant snaps for us at the linebacker position. Um, you know, as as compared to, to some other spots, we thought it was one of the deeper spots in the draft. So obviously, you know, you know, you set price tags on everybody throughout free agency, um, and and you know, you you have guys that you target and. And you know, you just you, you let things play out. You know, you you're not gonna you're not gonna overpay for a certain guy, especially when you know that you can address that same position in the draft. Whereas, you know, obviously other other positions are uh, are weaker in the draft, and and maybe you know you need to be a little bit more aggressive in free agency. But talking about linebackers specifically, uh, we knew where the depth was, and uh, you know that's that's something that, that that we're constantly doing. We're even looking a year ahead as far as as far as what's going to be what's going to be deep positions in next year's draft, um, you know, at least projecting guys that should should be coming out early, most likely, for the draft. And um, you know, I think that also worked worked in our favor this year in the draft at the tight end position. We addressed it last year. We knew this year was going to be a weak tight end group um, in the draft. And you know, I think I think just uh, having that foresight of, of projecting ahead has really helped us. Yeah, that's that's a good point because you know you. You've always got to be, especially, you know, we talk about it more when we talk about, okay, well, this guy on the team is, his contract, he's in a contract year, so he may be gone. You know, whether you're talking about, okay, well, AJ's on the franchise tag, and Carl Lawson's in a contract, or whoever you're talking about. You know, so you got to start looking ahead, and that's, that's certainly a part of the process, but we, we probably don't address enough the knowledge of, well, you, you better get your, your, you better take your shot at Drew Sample and make sure you don't get him because next year, if you really need tight ends, you might not, you might not have them. Uh, that's, I mean, that's, that's a big, that's a big aspect of all this stuff, right? I mean, is just, is understanding, understanding the bigger, you, you don't go, how much, how, you really can't go further than one year ahead though. I mean, it seems like you go too far out and there's too many variables at play. Yeah, I, I agree with that. Um, you know, because you, you, you never know. I mean, you never know who's going to come out. You never know who's going to get hurt. I don't think you want to go too more than more than one year ahead, for sure. Um, I think you'd, you'd be getting ahead of yourself at that point. Um, but it's it's certainly good to to know who's out there. I mean, shoot, we're even you know we're even looking at um, the incoming classes schools are bringing in uh, for freshmen. You know, just just to get an idea of of you know, okay, this this uh, this school is really doing doing well in recruiting and, and you know there's going to be a lot of talent coming through there and you know it's I mean probably more so you you recognize some of those five-star top guys and then you know you know there's a chance their college career doesn't play out like it's supposed to but but you know at least they have talent so maybe that's a guy you roll the dice on as a uh, late round pick or college free agent so we're always looking at we're always looking at young freshmen and sophomores um and at least being aware of them on the college scouting side um but as far as like really doing in-depth studies on where the draft may be deep yeah i, I don't think we're I, I think it would be it would be an inefficient way to do it to go more than one year ahead i agree with you 
All right, let's let's talk about everyone's favorite topic, uh, and understandably so. You know, you're on the front lines of scouting the quarterbacks in Joe Burrow. Um, for, when was your first trip out there? Uh, this year, I was I went out there in August in training camp. Did you catch him last year? I did. Yeah, I mean, I'm being a former quarterback myself. That's usually where my eyes always go to when I walk out on the practice field when I'm when I'm scouting his school. That's you know just just being honest. To, my eyes are um, initially just drawn to the quarterback position. Um, so yeah, you, you know I'm I'm looking at him last year in practice. Um, was impressed with the way he threw the ball, with the way he carried himself. But my uh, my contacts at LSU were not recommending him, him as a guy that was going to plan on coming out early. So I didn't do a ton of work on him on him last year. But but yeah, I did I did look at him live in practice and uh, you know watched watched a little bit of the tape. Obviously, you notice him when you're scouting guys at other positions. Um, but as far as really do, doing a deep dive on him, that started that started in August when I when I made my visit down to Baton Rouge. What, take me through your first visit, and obviously there was a lot of questions. I mean, he was—I mean, he would tell you he was nowhere on the radar of what he would be at then, even though he had hopes. Uh, uh, what was your impression in that visit, and how much did it, and did it change when you ended up going back later on and as his season unfolded? Well, the first visit was in August, so they hadn't played any games yet. Yeah. There was uh, there was no 2019 tape that I was um, diving into and studying. And obviously, a place like LSU, uh, you know, what did they have? 14 guys drafted this year, <laughs> something like that. Um, you know, so so there's a ton of guys that you have to talk about. Um, but obviously, with how important the quarterback position is, you you want to spend a sufficient amount of time making sure that that you uh, have a good feel for the way the guys are wired at that position. Um, you know, so just just going in there in August, uh, I think over the years going through LSU, I built up uh, some really trusted contacts and, and sources on their on their staff. Um, you know, support staff and coaching staff, and um, you know, me me. Uh, being a, a William and Mary guy, there's a couple of William and Mary guys that were on their staff this year, um, you know, that I've known for a while. Um, buddies of mine that, that I know I can trust, Joe Brady being one of them, their, their play caller. And then another guy, DJ Mangus, um, was a guy I played with there at William and Mary as well. Um, was was an uh, offensive analyst uh, for LSU down there. So those guys um, were were two guys I talked for a long time. I, I watched the whole practice down there, waited until uh, until afterwards, and went up to their offices and and had a long talk with those guys. And they just the praise um, that they had for Joe, and you know the the amount that they raved about him was was almost over the top. Um, but you, you know, maybe if you were at a smaller school, you'd, you'd be like, "Hey, pump the brakes here a little bit." You know, this is a little bit overboard. But um, you have to, you have to sit back and think. And you're like, "Wait, you know, we're at LSU. They've, they've put out as many, um, you know, pro ball, high level starting type players into the NFL as anybody um, over the past several years. So they're not, they're not going to just talk about anybody like that. They know, they know um, how guys need to be wired to be successful in the league." Um, you know, they know what NFL players look like and just, you know, when, um, when people are throwing out comparisons and these are other people on, on staff, not, not the guys I mentioned specifically. I only mentioned them specifically because they're no longer there. They're both with Carolina, uh, the Panthers right now, but, um, you know, other people on staff are, are comparing this guy to Peyton Manning, Tom Brady, 
Um, you know, just from a wiring standpoint, uh, his leadership, his work ethic, his passion for the game, his competitiveness. Um, so that, that, uh, that really gets you, gets you excited. Um, you know, just, just to know what kind of person you're getting. Because in my experiences scouting this position, um, guys have to be wired a certain way. And, and they, uh, the guys that are wired above and beyond, um, they, they find a way to, to have success. They find a way to, um, lead their teams and put points on the board from, from the quarterback position. Uh, obviously there's different styles they can go about it. Um, but, uh, that, that's a long way of saying, you know, I think a lot of the boxes were checked in that in that first visit as far as what the person was and then and then I kinda had to turn the page to evaluating the player. Um and that, that moved forward um with a couple live game exposures and then obviously studying uh every snap he played over the past couple of years. When last year did it become apparent to you that hey, he might be the guy? Hey, it was it was there a was there a point in your as you were kind of following along, where it was obvious to you, um, I'll tell I'll, t- I'll tell you two. Um, or there was probably there's probably three points where it really opened my eyes to different degrees. You know, just um, with the way his season was going. Uh, the first one was back in early September when the team was out in Seattle for the season opener. I was actually in Eugene, Oregon. Um, scouting Justin Herbert and the rest of those Oregon guys, they were playing Nevada. So I was, I was at that game and then planning to drive up from Eugene up to Seattle to meet the team for our game the next day. So obviously in, in my role now, I'm, I'm in charge, I'm in charge of keeping track of, of all the draftable players, uh, throughout the whole country. So I'm out, I'm out, you know, in Eugene, get done scouting that game, um, and, and watching the Oregon Ducks. And then I'm, you know, trying to track what else is going on in the college football world, um, you know, both during breaks uh, of that Oregon game and then and then certainly when I'm leaving. So I flip on, you know, the, the big game that night was LSU-Texas was, was the primetime game. And, you know, I flipped that on, I think it was like the Watch ESPN app or something like that on my phone. I'm watching that as, as I'm walking to my car out of the Oregon Stadium, and then I sit there in my car and watch it for a little bit. And that was, you know, the play that still sticks out in my mind when I think about their season that really put them on the map. I think it was uh, third and 17 late in the fourth quarter. It was like a three-by-one, four-vertical type of concept. They're bringing a blitz. He kind of navigates the pocket, steps up, gets hit in the mouth, and delivers it over the middle. Um and and it's it's a game ceiling touchdown, you know, to to really uh you know, really clinch that game against Texas and uh he had Joe had, had a, a great game the week before in their opener against Georgia Southern. Um so that was the first that was the first kind of uh point where you're like, Okay, you know, his his play's matching up, even though it's only one game, his play's matching up with the way they were describing him. And then that Texas that moment in the Texas game, I was like, "Wow, this guy's this guy's got a real chance um, to to be a special player and have a special season." Um, so that that was one, and then I I hadn't um, officially booked a a, uh, a trip to, to see a live LSU game, and I was I was already considering going down to Nashville uh, a couple weeks later when they played um, Vanderbilt. So after that play, I, I, I locked I locked that trip in. 
um, booked my hotel, ended up just driving down from Cincinnati to Nashville, saw that game, and he threw, uh, I want to say, four or five touchdowns in the first half of that Vanderbilt game. Um, you know, you end up spending time on the sideline pregame, talking to more LSU coaches. Uh, you know, Kevin Coyle was down there who coached with us with the Bengals. Uh, talking to guys like that, you know, that, you, that you've had relationships with for a while. Uh, so the case continues to build um, with, you know, performance after performance. And then the one that really cl- clinched things and solidified it for me was when I went down to Tuscaloosa um, to uh, to get a live view at the LSU-Alabama game. And, um, and I, I left that game, you know, just with the way I, I thought he really – now, don't get me wrong, he, he had a – you know, a heck of a supporting cast around him that were making a ton of plays in that game as well. Uh, but you could you could just feel his presence and, and the leadership uh, and everything with the way he took over that game and went into Tuscaloosa and won that. So I'm driving back from Tuscaloosa to the Atlanta airport, and I would say to answer your question, um, that that would be the moment where it solidified that he was going to be. You know, I didn't know if we would have a number one pick at that point. Um, but he was he was going to be most likely the top pick in the draft, and like I said, he solidified his spot. And I don't think I don't think there was much that could happen. Um, it would have to be something pretty crazy to drop him off of that top spot after that moment. Um, so that was uh, early November. I think that was November 9th, Maybe it was that game. So, well, yeah, and and not only. Do you look at, okay, well, he, it'd be hard for him to do something to lose that spot to somehow build on the legend at that point where, you know, the bigger, if there was ever one question, it's like, okay, well, let's, let's see. You don't get much bigger of a stage in Tuscaloosa, but let's see what he looks like in the college football playoff and in the SEC title game. And it was just somehow able to top himself. I'm just curious, when you guys already have him, it, like you said, after Alabama, where, you know, you've pretty much got it locked in, like, this guy's going to probably be the guy. And right. to watch those games, it's like, can he, at, at that point, he somehow ups his stock? Like, I, I guess you go from 1 to 1A. One I don't know how you guys even sat there and viewed that game, those games. Well, yeah, he, he obviously continued to build his case. You know, you're – you scout, you scout so many guys and, and the majority of these guys have peaks and valleys in their season, but for him to play at a high level consistently throughout the whole year and like you said, continue to get better and better, um, you know, part of, part of scouting is projecting what a guy's gonna be in the league. So the trajectory that he was on, um, you know, improving his play throughout the season, it makes you excited for, for what he can be, you know, obviously he had a, phenomenal season was throwing 60 touchdowns but um it makes you think that he could continue to get better and better it's not like he it's not like he reached a certain level of play and then plateaued right yeah exactly um we all know about joe burrow everybody knows about joe burrow um so i want to kind of touch on a few other guys in the draft the, the really interesting thing i thought in this draft was going to be how teams particularly those that were you know, trying to, to navigate the receiver process. We mentioned the depth of the, that that class earlier. How they would do it because there were so many different traits, so many guys with, with different skills and things they did well. There was, there was when was the run going to come? Who would be around when? How was this more challenging to go through that class when you guys knew that you probably would be wanting to try to take one, figure out when the run would be and when the most value would be and who those guys were, or was it just normal? Well, like it's look, just just grade them, scout them, write the reports on them, and, and rank them, and then we'll just see how the board falls. 
Well, yeah, you've you've got to grade them. You've got to um, you know put them in the in the proper spot on the draft board. Um, but after that's done, then you've got to look back and say, okay, every guy we've got a bottom of the first round grade on is not the same player. You know, guys have different styles. Uh, you know, there was just a lot of different flavors of, of receiver in this uh, in this draft. Um, so you have to weed through all that, and and you have to you know when there, when there's a position like receiver was in this year's draft there's so many guys that you're going to have graded closely together when you have that many guys go in the first and second round so it's it's a process of uh of weeding through everything coming through all the prospects uh positives and negatives see exactly you know who fits us the best um you know and that's from that's from all angles that's that's from uh you know ability with the ball in the ball in their hands, um, you know, playmaking ability down the field, speed, uh, you know, even character makeup, intelligence, competitiveness, toughness. Um, so, you know, we just had to weed through all of that. And, and like I said, there was a lot of guys graded um, just uh, very similarly on our board, but we had to rank them in the order for us. And um, I'm glad we ended up ended up taking T Higgins because he's a guy that uh, we thought there was a good chance he would end up going in the first round. And when he was sitting there at the top of the second, obviously you get some, you get some calls about trading back. Um, but we didn't, we didn't think there was any offers um, that, that were uh, made it worth passing on, on T and, and potentially not getting him. Um, so I'm, I'm really happy with the way it played out again, you know, proud of, proud of our staff and, and, you know, our receivers coaches have, did a ton of work on those guys too. And the communication was phenomenal. You know, we, we were, we were really on the same page throughout the whole process. So there wasn't a whole lot of, uh, tough arguments or anything that, that had to be made. Of course, everybody's not going to agree on every single player, but, um, it, it was done very professionally and, and respectfully. And, uh, and we ended up with, with an order that everybody was able to agree on. Why did T fit the traits you guys felt you needed? I mean, T's, T's just a good all-around receiver. It's hard to poke many holes in his game. Um, you know, maybe if you look at the uh, the top-end speed on paper, you can knock that a little bit. But we do we do studies, and this you know this wasn't done just after considering T. You know, we, we do studies and all all these guys um, throughout the year. If You can look at, uh, I believe it's the top 10 guys that led the league in receiving last year. I think the average 40 time was like a 4.52 or a 4.53. Um, so uh, I, I was down there at T's Pro Day. It was the last Pro Day on March 12th before everything got shut down. Um, he was originally planning to run at a later date. Uh, he was coming off like a, a slight hammy tweak, I believe. But he ended up just running because I don't think he – he uh, knew for sure if he was ever going to be able to to run a forty without, um, you know, with all the stuff that was going on. So, you know, if, if you want to knock holes in him, I, I had him at a four five six, four five seven on, on my hand at, at the uh, the pro day. So, you know, if he's if he's three hundredths of a second slower than than uh, the average of the guys under the top ten most productive receivers in the league, I don't think that's a that's a huge knock. But. Um, T, you know, T's got a similar body to AJ Green. Obviously, he's an AJ Green fan. Models his game after him, and you see a lot of similarities in their games. He's a big play player down the field. Uh, plays above the rim. He picks balls off guys' heads. 
made a ton of big plays for Clemson. I think he had 27 touchdowns over the past three years, which which is as many as as all of those top guys they've had. Uh, they compare him favorably favorably to Sammy Watkins, Mike Williams, DeAndre Hopkins, all of those top receivers that have come out of Clemson. Um, I saw I saw Dabo Sweeney uh, had the had the quote that that he came out with after we drafted him, and that's the exact same thing he told scouts privately. So, um, you know that's that's not uh, that's not BS by any means. That's that's how they really feel about the guy. And uh, there's some trusted sources that I've built up throughout the years at Clemson that that really rave about this guy and think he's he's going to be a heck of a player for us. So, um, to answer your question, it, it probably is not just one thing I can I can put my finger on that that hey he has this trait that we absolutely had to have. It's just how well well rounded of a of a receiver he is. For a big tall guy, he can he's sudden, he's fluid, he can sink his weight, he can get in and out of routes at the break point. Um so there's you know, there's not a lot of things you can knock T. Higgins on. I think he's a starting outside receiver in the league and, and should be a productive NFL player for a long time. Yeah. Uh the linebackers, I mean, you know, you, you take three of them. Uh I'm just curious, you know, what kind of made those three stand out to you between Logan Wilson and, and Akeem Davis Gaither and, and then Marcus Bailey late in the in the seventh who, you know, it just seems like the more you hear about these guys, the more people are saying, man, they, they, they all felt like they were underdrafted. You know what I mean? Where they they, yep. they all probably had higher projections or maybe just a, an injury risk is, is a part of, is a part of uh, you know, why they were even there that late. Right. Well, uh, I think I think uh, our draft board would would agree with that assessment. Um, we we thought Logan, uh, starting with him, we thought he had a uh, really really strong chance of going somewhere in the second round, maybe even early to mid second round. So we were uh, just just being honest. I can't speak for everybody else, but I know I know me specifically. I was nervous the whole the whole second round, just as picks started to to go off the board, and uh, and he was still there. We knew a handful of teams right in front of us at sixty five were in the linebacker market. Um, we had some discussions about potentially moving up to make sure we we secured Logan. Um, you know, potentially there late in the in the second round. Um, obviously, nothing ended up materializing, but then you have. Uh, Kansas City takes a linebacker and Willie Gay two spots ahead of us at 63, um, and then uh, and then Seattle's on the board at 64, and we were just you know after Seattle took Jordan Brooks in the first round and already addressed the linebacker position, uh, our, thought, our thought process was um, okay there. Probably not thinking linebacker at the top of their priorities, but Seattle has always been an active team with trading. So we were just bracing for the trade to come through and then literally know, you know, we hear that Carolina trades up there on the clock and they just lost Luke Keekley. So everybody was, was pretty bummed out that there was a chance that Carolina would slide right in front of us knowing we needed to address the linebacker position and, and they would take Logan, but they ended up taking Jeremy Chin. Um, the safety from Southern Illinois right there at 64. So we were all very, very uh, happy. Um, everybody was excited that, that Logan fell to that pick. 
And, um, you know, I think, I think he's, he's got three down starting ability, um, in the NFL at the, at the linebacker position. So we couldn't be more happy with getting him at the top of the third round. But I always wonder what that's like when you hold your breath that long and someone trades in front of you. You know, it's like the, the, the holding and then the, the exhale that you have when you hear that last name. Like anybody that's ever played fantasy football, which is everybody, always has that, you know, and then you, you know, but you, but you go to the fridge and you have a beer and you feel better about it. This is your life. Like you guys have spent a year thinking about this type of stuff and you're sitting on, I can only imagine the exhale whenever, even if, it, whether it's Logan Wilson or any pick, where the one that you really want, you know, there's really just the one that you want comes off the board. Yeah, there was, there was a loud combination of exhale and cheers when, uh, when he was on the board. Obviously, we're, we're all on a, on a, uh, Zoom conference call and you can hear everybody's reaction. So, yeah. when 364 came off the board and Logan was still there, we were, we were really excited. And again, man, it, it's a credit to our staff to, uh, to look at, look at our draft board and say, okay, you know, we know we need to address linebacker, but it's, it's a deep position, like, like I mentioned before, that, we think there's going to be, you never know 100%. It's always going to be a roll of the dice uh, in the draft. You never know exactly what every team's thinking, and, and teams do a good job of uh, holding their cards closer to the vest. But um, we, you know, just looking at the depth, um, I'm glad we, t- we took T. Higgins because he, he's one of the last receivers that, that we really thought was a high-impact guy for us. And then we thought there was a number of linebackers. Like I said, we we really didn't think it was likely Logan was going to be there, but we, but we did like the depth. At, at linebacker, King Davis Gaither being, being another one of those guys, and Marcus Bailey, um, certainly as well. So, you know, it, it's a credit to our staff of, uh, of being patient and, um, and seeing how the board laid out, you know, and not reaching maybe for, for a linebacker need, um, early in the second round and also staying patient and, and letting the board play out, um, as far as not giving up, uh, another draft pick to, to maybe move up and, and get a guy. So, um, you know, I think our patience really, uh, really paid off for us. Yeah, it was a tough year where it's tempting. This isn't like in the last three years where you've had double-digit picks and you've had the ability to, like, all right, you can spend a little capital to make sure you get that guy. This year, that luxury was sort of gone with only really having seven picks. You really don't want to lose any of them. Uh, you know, you just got to kind of hold your breath a little bit. So there's there's a lot of luck involved in it, right? And you kind of feel like you got got lucky this year uh, with, with um. With, um, I guess, Khalid Kareem, um, you know, the length is obviously where everybody starts with him, but I, I always astounded him. We make, I don't know how much of it, it's obviously a big deal. You want guys that are character guys and leadership and culture, and that's a big part of here, but like, to me, if you're a non-premier position, like you're not a, you're not a linebacker making the calls, you're not a quarterback, you're not, and you are a captain at Notre Dame, like, I, I do feel like that stands to, that holds a little more weight than something else when you're at sort of a position. It's not like that's a, your standard captain spot. You know that there has to be some serious personality and leadership there, right? That that absolutely means something. Um, yeah, like you said, I mean, your leaders typically, your signal callers on both sides of the ball are are up the middle uh, on both offense and defense. So a guy coming off the edge to have that type of leadership um, that really says something. And um, we were we were really happy to get Khalid there at the top of the fifth round. We were, we were a little thin, um, outside at that, at that edge spot. And we thought he was, uh, he was the last guy left that, that can really help us. Um, so, you know, to, to get a high character guy, I mean, I mean, you know, obviously a lot has been made about these high character guys and, and captains and all that stuff. 
And, you know, again, that, you know, I'm, I would be the first person to tell you, to tell you that, uh, that that's, that's a huge emphasis that we've placed. You know, we've, we've, um, we've done a ton of work, you know, contacting guys at, at these schools that, that the players have worked with, talk to, talking to the players in person, um, you know, the coaches, et cetera. But at the end of the day, the guy's got to be able to play football. The guy's got to be a good player. All of these guys that we got are not just high character, leader, captain types. They, you know, that's icing on the cake on top of, uh, on top of them being damn good football players. So, uh, Khalid falls right into that category. I mean, he's, he's a long, heavy handed, uh, powerful guy, can collapse the pocket, can put tackles on skates. And, um, and really make quarterbacks uncomfortable in the pass game. Um, and then he, uh, you know, he can use that length and that strength to set the edge in the run game. He's an instinctive player. Um, you know, he's tough, he's physical and, you know, all, all of the background work that we did really checked out on him. So, uh, we, we think he's, he's going to be a good player for us. And then, uh, Adenji, he's a guy that maybe a lot of guys thought uh, wouldn't be around that late, um, depending on who you listen to. What was your view of him? Adenji, yeah, is another guy that it's a similar conversation to what we were talking about with the depth of the linebackers. Um, there was there were some other linemen that we had graded in similar areas that that we really had regard for, and it was and it was a, a good bit higher than than the sixth round. We were, we were surprised he fell there to the top of the sixth round. So you know maybe you, you address another position um, with taking Khalid there at the top of the fifth, and and you roll the dice again. You know. You never, you never know for sure that Akeem Adenogy is going to be there at the top of the sixth. I think, I think, um, the percentages would have been extremely low if you asked anybody, at least on our side, um, going into the draft that, that he would be there. Uh, but we were, we were ecstatic that, that he was, he was there at that pick. Um, you know, an, another captain obviously played a ton of ball. Um, he started off, I believe, uh, his first five games of his career at right tackle and then started 40, 43 straight after that at left tackle. Um, you know, so a guy who's played a, played a ton of ball. He's an explosive, sudden, twitchy athlete. Um, really, really the knock on him has been what's his best position, guard or tackle. And he's not the biggest guy in the world, but if you look at it, and I know this is a, this is a knock on Jonah as well. If you look at it, he's almost the exact same dimensions as Jonah Williams is. Um, so, you know, we have high hopes for Jonah being, a darn good tackle in the league for a long time. Um, so, you know, with, with this guy being the same size as Jonah, you know, obviously you always want the, the biggest, fastest, strongest, toughest guy. But when you're looking at the top of the sixth round, the, the guy's not going to be a, a perfect prospect that checks every box. Even in the first round, guys don't do that. So um, he's a guy, tough, physical, very athletic Versatile. He played tackle in college, but he played guard at the Senior Bowl, and he did a really good job. Made a phenomenal impression on us when we interviewed him. The advantage we had there at the Senior Bowl from a scouting perspective was on a typical year, you've got every team, well, let's say 30 of the teams um, outside of the two that are coaching it, and they're all, you know, there's scouts and coaches everywhere breathing down these players' necks to try to interview them. Uh, the advantage we had was in the meeting rooms and then also on top of that in the meal rooms. When these, so when these players were eating lunch, um, I, I specifically remember sitting down with Hakeem at lunch for a good 30 minutes, um, whereas, whereas, you know, if, you, if you're out there in the, uh, in the common area of the hotel and the lobby, 
be trying to chase guys down. You may be lucky to get five or ten minutes with them before you have to pass them on to another team. And uh, Hakeem, you know, our staff was able to sit down with him while, while he was eating lunch and, uh, and really get a good feel for his character. And then also you get a feel, obviously, for his uh, his football intelligence when you're sitting in the in the meetings with him all week down there at the Senior Bowl. So he made he made a, a really strong impression on our staff. Um, as a person and as a player that week in Mobile, um, and he's another guy, you know, we, we uh, if we thought he was a six-round pick, um, we would have traded back to get him. He's, we had him graded much higher than that, uh, so we were we were extremely happy to, to pull him off the board at the top of the sixth. Yeah, and, and a lot a lot was made all off season and be, because of what everything happens with everything getting shut down. I mean, about how how important the Senior Bowl was for you guys. But I mean, that's the, exactly the type of stuff that you're talking about. It's just that that is invaluable time that literally was a competitive advantage. That thirty minutes was thirty minutes that almost nobody else had. You know, I mean, literally. Absolutely. I mean, literally, nobody else had that. You yeah. know, maybe maybe the D- Detroit Lions was yeah. able to, were able to spend thirty minutes with them, but. Um, Outside of that, no, that's that's an advantage that that we had, and um, and it, it it really you know it really helped us out. I think you know we, we uh, it was just a more relaxed atmosphere interviewing these guys, um, you know, in that in that setting like that, that I'm referring to in, in the lunchroom. You know, maybe maybe it's a little bit more high pressure environment in the meeting room where these guys have to learn an offense, you know, in a couple of days. But you also want to see them in that high stress environment. So we got to see them. As people just, you know, relaxing, sitting back, eating, telling us about their personal character, and then we got a good insight on their football intelligence, football character in a more stressful environment in the meeting room. And yeah, you're right. You know, that's uh, that's information that 30 of the teams in the league uh, were not able to access. Mike, when do you get uh, take a break? Do they give you a break? Like, I mean, I feel like. Every scout in the league wants to just just go into a hole, but the problem is we all are have been stuck in the same hole for the last forty five days. So, so you go, go you just kind of stay in the same hole that you've been in. Just just turn the computer off and the phone off for a couple of days. <laughs> yeah, I feel like I haven't left my uh, my little office set up in my basement uh, for the past two months. But um, but yeah, I'm, I'm I'm still down here now doing doing some work uh, for sure. This week we have to tie up some loose ends uh, with some of the college free agents that that we. Uh, have agreed to terms with and then um, you know as, as I mentioned to you before Paul we, we have the uh, the top waiver claim in the uh, in the waiver wire so um, you know we have we have our, uh, our pick of, of guys that get waived from other clubs um, here over the over the next couple of weeks I mean all season in, into the early part of the season even so that's another roster building tool that we'll use to our advantage to um, you know, hopefully, add some more talented guys to the back end of the roster. But yeah, I mean, we'll, we'll get a we'll get some time to uh, to exhale here here soon. But um, but you know, it'll be it'll be a quick break, and then we'll be on to uh, to working on next year's draft guys. Like I said, we've already done some some pre- preliminary work on uh, on a lot of those guys, the top guys specifically. But you know, we'll, we'll dig a little deeper um, as we get as we get into the month of May. And, um, you know, it'll, we'll just start the process all over again. 
That's just it. Round and round you go. It never stops. People, people may, uh, you may be out of sight, out of mind for, for a lot of people, but for you guys, man, you're round. It is, uh, it's, it's always, always on the go and you get, you get your, uh, you know, you finally, you get all that for your one weekend to, to see it all, see it all pull, uh, fall out. So congratulations on, uh, on a year's worth of work and now get started on that next year, you know? So. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate it, man. We're, we're happy with, uh, with the way it played out. It would be, it would be tough to, uh, to put all that work in throughout the year and then you're disappointed come, come draft weekend, but we couldn't be happier with, with how it played out and the direction that we're headed as a franchise and, and the talent that, that we've acquired um, throughout this all season on the on the pro scouting and college scouting side. So um, I think I think everybody's very optimistic about um, about what we can do on the field this year. Yeah, whenever you guys come back, uh, I guess everyone's just going to leave those "Hello, my name is" name tags on the front uh, <laughs> front of the locker room where there's so much changeover. We, we haven't seen anything like this in a while, and it's it's, it's certainly a uh, a sign of the times and uh, exciting to see what happens. So again, Mike, congrats to you and everybody on the on the scouting staff side over there on uh, on a lot of hard work and and, and uh, you know a lot of players added that uh, may may have a serious impact. And hey, you got number one. You got you got Joe Burrow. So you know it all it all start it all starts right there. So Mike, I appreciate your time, man, and we will uh, we will see you down the road. Awesome, Paul. Thanks for having me. Really appreciate it.